problem is I am fighting capitalism, basically. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to go away, like, just because a few people are grumpy about it. Hello out there, and welcome to this episode of the Sucks Podcast. And hello, Bavo. How are you doing today? Hey, Thorsten. I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, Friday afternoon for me, uh, so almost weekend. Yeah, and well, at least for us, it's Friday afternoon. Um, for our guest, it's still, well, almost in the morning because joining us from the East Coast of the US today is Elizabeth Rosenzweig. And I guess most of you out there know her for her work because she is not only a UX and design researcher, but she is also the founder and director of the World Usability, uh, Usability Day, where I guess most of us have been at least to one or two of these events. So good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for joining us here today. And it's, 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 it's a great honor and pleasure to have you here. And well, we have prepared a set of questions and we want to talk about so many things with you. But before we dive deeper into your journey to UX research and the World Usability Day and its strong relation to sustainability, we would like to start with our Sucks Friendship Book, which is kind of a tradition, meanwhile, to do that uh, with, with each of our guests. And well, since it is almost in the morning for you, uh, let us begin with the first question. How does a perfect day actually start for you? Um, well, a perfect day does always start with coffee. And I'm a big fan of that particular kind of caffeine. Um, and then, you know, reading the paper, either online or in print. I like to know what's going on in the world, but I don't want to be checking it all the time. Uh, so I'll like check it once in the morning to see if anything happened. <laughs> Ideally, I could then take a walk in the woods and do my stretches and have a good breakfast. But generally... Um, Today I had a walk, did some stretching, and had an uh, an okay breakfast. So <laughs> nice, close. As designers and as people working in digital space, we find ourselves behind screens a lot. Obviously, um, is there any places like what is your favorite space to be outside of screens? Like where where do you want to disconnect? Where do you go? Uh, anywhere in the mountains and the woods. Um, so when I was in college, I spent my summers at a um, hiking and rock climbing camp. Uh, and after I was a camper, uh, I became <clears throat> a counselor and a trip leader. And I just, I just couldn't wait. And, and it was, we called it unplugging back. And this was before like the internet, <laughs> still called it unplugging. Um, and there was just something about being in the woods and then even in the winter going skiing. Um, I think in retrospect and having thought about this, these questions a little more, it is really where my, uh, interest and love of sustainability came from i can talk about it but uh last summer after the pandemic my family for the first time that's like all my kids and the dogs and everyone uh met in the blue ridge mountains we all came from different parts of the united states and went there for a week nice. and it was great so yeah mountains and woods that's mountains me and woods yeah right. and and you, you you made my how to say that in english my heart ringing because it's the same for me, right? Being outside, going to the mountains. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Something about it, you know? Like, I thought, it's funny. I, I had this random thought I can share. So, like, there were times when I would be hiking, and I remember I, I was kind of young and also in art school at the time. I remember thinking, oh, the planet's, like, hugging me when I'm in the woods. Yeah, okay. I, can, I can see that. 
it's it's yeah you you disconnect from the human and you connect with what was there pre-human it's it, it dates back it's that primal connection that is there absolutely yeah. I, I can like feel you that. feel more like you're a part of everything yeah without yeah. actually having to like act you know what i mean just being it's... you <laughs> Since, since, well, since you were talking uh, about hiking and, and since you're from the East Coast, have you ever thought of doing the, um, what's the name, the Appalachian Trail? I've done, I've done, yeah, lots of pieces of the Appalachian Trail. In fact, um, when we were uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, there was a piece of the Appalachian Trail. Um, yeah. I have considered doing the whole thing. They call it a through, uh, through hiking, but I, I think instead I did these, it was like two and three week trips and... Um, and so there was the Appalachian Trail. There was the Long Trail in Vermont. I've done most of the Long Trail because that's just the state of Vermont, not like the whole eastern part of the United <laughs> States. Uh, and then the Adirondacks, um, which is, you know, like a different kind of terrain. Uh, so, yeah. So I have done a lot of those. The longest I was ever out in the woods was, um, well, it was three weeks. And in the middle of that, we did a uh, solo Um Nice. That was when I was a camper. When I was on staff, we were checking kids doing solos. <laughs> and then you had like limited food and a couple of matches and you were by yourself for two days. That's, I think, probably uh, when I began to think, oh, wow, there's something going on in these woods out here. It's great. Yeah. 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 Cool. Nice. I, I, But three weeks. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Since we, we spoke so much about being outside now, um, I want to I wanna add uh The question about the sustainability, and you named that already, um, yeah. because I think it fits pretty well here. So talking about sustainability, what is sustainability for you personally, actually? Yeah, and I think it started at this camp. So I went to a camp uh, at Killington. It was, in, it was like summers at the Killington Ski Area in Vermont. Um, and the director, his name was um, Dave Langlois. He really was a mentor to me. And his whole theory, he had a theory that now everyone's saying, right? But I, I do credit Dave Langlois for this. He said, it's called leave no trace camping. And it basically means we would go out. So we might live for three weeks in the woods, right? But we would have no impact uh, in the sense of we wouldn't use tents. We would use hammocks. So you're like above the foliage. You're not batting everything down. And if you find a place for your you know, for your fireplace. So it's a place that's already batten down or got a, an open area. And then you destroy it afterwards, right? Like let the fire die down in the morning, clear everything away, dig a hole for the ashes, throw all the stones in different directions, knock some wood over it. You know, like you are leaving no trace and um, packing in everything you take out. Uh, and so the idea is sort of more what like indigenous cultures sort of, think about the planet is you know it's not mine to just like tramp around and use what i want it's 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 sort of i'm here at the pleasure of the planet right like essentially sort of what i was saying before and then the idea is that then how can i be a good steward uh both on both sides and i think it's interesting because that kind of grew um into what i'm doing now because when i think about you know design And I think about, let's say, my favorite prop, you can't see, but I'm holding up my iPhone. You know, this is absolutely not sustainable. There's nothing about it. And also, it's not a phone, but that's another conversation. My little mini computer that thinks it's a mask or calling itself a phone. Uh, first of all, we're mining precious metals out of the planet to make these. And you're telling me I need a new one every two years. 
And what are we doing with the precious metals? We're throwing them out or we're like, seriously, what are we doing? There's, this is not sustainable, right? And uh, so to me personally, we've got to stop this cycle. And so when I think back on it, and I tell you, there is not an engineer that I've talked to with this idea that likes it. So I, I'm admitting that the, the listeners may not like this idea, but what if, what if we had started building these more like Legos? And what if we thought, okay, what if like, it's not that hard to put these things together. People are not stupid. We have trained people not to want to do it. We have trained them to be codependent on us and technology or whatever you want to call it. So what if we had trained them differently and said, look, this is great. This is like Legos. You want to change your battery every two years? Pop it out, pop it out, throw it back in. You want to make a bigger screen? Sure. It's Legos. But no, no, nobody wants to do that. We want to keep selling things. So that is the opposite of sustainable. Um, and so for me, sort of bringing my original, uh, you know, love of nature in the woods and this idea that um, leave no trace camping is really how we should be living our lives in general. <laughs> um, then it's sustainability and design is everything. So uh, one of my guests on um, one of my uh, speaker series, um, Omar Sharez from uh, Pakistan, who's been doing a lot of work on imagining futures, he's the one who gave me this this idea to say sustainability means that in everything we do, we consider the impact on our environment, all species and their ecosystems. That's it. And dead stop. And I thought, whoa, yeah, that's that's it. So that's that's the that's the takeaway I think from that one. Yeah. Phew. While you were saying this, I, I immediately had to think about the um, about the well Apple keynote we have seen a few uh, weeks ago and these Mother Nature thing and which is well we, we could discuss about this for um, for an hour but um, these leave no trace right and and how yeah. can we get in the digital world to what does it mean to leave no trace how can we get there how can we shift the narrative and what I was just thinking is These, the Lego metaphor. I mean, we, we have the Fairphone, right? Which is... I was about to bring it up as well. A, a very big in Europe, a Dutch company is called Fairphone. And they built their phones on that concept. Is your battery too slow? Just replace the battery. You want a new camera? Because they bring out a new camera module. And it's literally a Lego block that you can just put on the mainframe. So yes, Fairphones. That's what they're okay. called. I'm going to look them up. Okay, thank you. Hashtag not sponsored, but they can call us if they want to. I mean, that's... Uh... <laughs> I remember things like that. Right. So what what I was thinking and what, what I would like to ask you is, I think it's also, well, the one thing is there is the companies building these things, making us buying new things. Well, and then there is also us and and maybe especially this is a problem also for UX, right? That the, the convenience for the for the consumers is, is so important. And I mean, that's why people li li like Apple, right? Because everything is so easy. And how can we balance this more convenience for the user with, yeah, but what is the impact on the rest of the world? What do you think? Well, I mean, it's a good question because what I was saying is how I wished it would have been that we would have started, right? Like imagining had we started differently mm -hmm. and I was there when it started, so. I feel like it's, I can, you know, I do remember choices being made that were not in that direction, but here we are now today. And so what are we going to do? Um, and it is a huge balance because one of the issues, and that's honestly, that's why I started World Usability Day. You want to know the truth? 
I wanted a usability revolution. Like, no kidding, usability revolution. Like, why are people buying things that don't work? Why are people putting up with, with technology that makes them feel stupid? Why? Over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Does that keep happening? Because we've trained people that way. So World Usability Day was at least trying to train people not to blame themselves, trying to say it doesn't have to be hard to use. Maybe I could buy something else or do something else. But we're fighting. It's like I feel like Pegasus is like pushing the rock up a hill and it keeps rolling back down on me because the problem is I am fighting capitalism, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to go away like just because a few people are grumpy about it. So... Um, so we've got to figure out how to deal with that. And the problem is, you know, everyone, the entire world is focusing on a growth economy. Um, and I'm not an economist, so I can't get down that road too far. But I do understand enough to say, if everyone's always trying to grow, then we're never okay where we are. And if you travel, you can see, and you guys are, obviously you're not from the United States, but this does happen in Europe, the growth economy, but still there are places, <laughs> even in the United States and Europe, where you can visit people and they say something like, I'm not working all the time because I want to have a balanced life. I know I could be a millionaire, but honestly, I'm okay with what I have. And that is a better place to be on the planet. Mm -hmm. and, and I can focus my energy. And I sort of say this with myself, with my own career, like I would rather do work that is like leave no trace camping. And so when I'm, when I'm, you know, out of there, okay, so first I've caused no damage. That'd be a great place to start. Yeah. And if we can all just say that, like even developers and like now sometimes, you know, in my, in my teaching and my work, I talk to computer scientists and nobody ever tells them that, but I feel like saying, okay, guys, let's start off with do no damage. And some of them are like, oh, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, we're going to have this conversation right now. <laughs> Because sometimes you do things you don't realize the impact. No, it's 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 true. I I agree. And speaking of, and you mentioned it um, in your in your answer as well, is at the end of the day we're human and we're corruptible by nature. We we will always choose the path of path of least resistance because it's easier and we like it efficient and easy. Um, and it's it's something that we in this podcast really try to also emphasize is that human factor. And so the final question of our friendship book uh, oh, that yeah. we fill in every time is um, uh, what is your guilty pleasure in terms of sustainability? We all have one. Yeah, we all like to be perfect. And I'd like to tell you that I have a compost pot. You can't see it on my kitchen. But, you know, when it's raining outside, sometimes I'll throw the compost in the garbage. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going outside today. Or whatever, right? So there's that. But honestly, I think as I think about it, um, the worst one that I am actually trying to change, so let's all admit one that I'm trying to change. Um, so I live alone most of the time. I'm, I'm single and I do have grown children who come with their families. So they, I either go from like just me in this, which is great, by the way, in this big house or like, ah, people, gods, ah, um, but when I'm alone, sometimes I'll, I'll do takeout, like a lot of takeout. But then I end up with all these plastic containers. And I think, you know, there's nothing about this takeout experience that makes me feel good about sustainability. I have a garden. I have a compost thing. And I'm like getting someone to like drive food over to my house. That's my guilty pleasure. That That's the that's the one. And I do rationalize like, oh, for my health, I should have a healthy meal. You're just going to eat peanut butter and bananas or whatever, you know, but still I could make the 
honestly, yeah. could also make a salad from that. <laughs> Just, so yeah, guilty pleasure. Lots of takeout with plastic containers that can't be recycled. Also, that's just yeah. the worst. Yeah, but but as Bavo said, right? That that's the thing. We are all human, and and I well, think this yeah. is also an important message that that yeah. right that we can do a lot of good things, but there will be, I guess, almost no person on the whole planet who is doing everything right. Maybe yeah, there's there's again, one person out of one million, maybe, but right. Yeah, I mean, because it's like sort of like thinking about every day what I can do, and then like over the course of say your lifetime. So I feel good about the over the course of my lifetime part, <laughs> but sometimes there's days, but you know, things are tough, right? Like some of us, you know, like I have elderly parents at the moment and there's a lot of attention for that. And so sometimes I'll get myself a chicken. Like, like you gotta, I get that. Right? I do the you same. Know, my parents make myself a salad. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. Balance is uh, really the, I feel like the most important thing because if we get off balance like that, then we do make mistakes and we do rush and we do say, ugh, I'll just drive over to do something that could be a 10 minute walk, you know, but I'm like, they're cranky, you know, like things like that to me is also. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing is, and I think um, Trine Falbe, who has been guest here, said it very well that in, in many things is not about thinking, how can I make everything right? But it's more, yeah. okay, how can I get a little bit better until I don't know the end of the month until yep. the end of the year right so switching this perspective how to get better and looking on these things and focusing on what can I do better instead of looking at the oh there are so many things I do wrong right because then we will make no progress at all and we need to well, make progress right and you have to be it's interesting because one of the chapters in my book is all about failure like you have to embrace failure also so you have to say, look, I made a mistake. Look, this isn't great. Look, this failed. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then not get stuck in that. So it's sort of like, you know, talk to any and like practicing clinical psychologist and they'll say, you know, change is sustained. Change is made by incremental behavior shifts that are sustained over time. So you could miss a day or two, you could like whatever, but then get back on it and keep trying it. And then that's how change happens. So, you know, I kind of think about that in the big picture of our work and World Usability Day. And, and it just helps to like, it's a big picture way of thinking. And so I think that's our growth mindset, if you will. Um, all of those things uh, mm -hmm. help, help with, you know, also being kind to yourself. And Yeah. A, a friend of mine once uh, explained it to me. It was in the context of uh, doing regular workouts. And she said, most people tackle it from, oh, I must do three workouts a week. And yeah. she's like, you should reverse that and say, I can't go three days without a workout. That's the better way of looking at that problem statement. Not, oh, I need to work out Monday and then Thursday and then right. Sunday. Like, no, you just, you can't, you can't ever go three days without. So you can skip a day. Sure. I mean, it's an interesting way because I have a similar approach, uh, just slightly different. So also... If I want to start a workout and not go the whole hour, whatever the heck, okay, that's fine. Do 20 minutes today. You want to do 20 minutes tomorrow. Do it that way. Do it that way. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you have to work with your own rhythm and your own like nature. Like, yeah. so some people say it that it's like, you got to know how, like how to motivate yourself too, which is honestly a lifelong. Yeah. That's, that's the thing, right? It's not a one-time sprint. 
but it's a marathon. And and maybe maybe speaking about the marathon, and since as I already said, you, I think most people know you for for your work um, establishing the World Usability Day and have visited one, two, three, or many of these events. Um, maybe you could share with us how did it all start? How did the idea came up? I mean, it's it's a long journey, right? World Usability oh, Days, yeah. they are almost oh, yeah. my whole career, I think. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Almost, I think, right? <laughs> We're so... going to celebrate our 20th anniversary next year. So yeah, I there think. you go. Um, that is so great. So, so I... Uh, Okay, so the story on that, I could take, honestly, the entire podcast, but I'll, I'll try to not on just this one story. But um, so what happened was, if you, I, so I was president of what, what used to be called the Usability Professionals Association um, and had been president starting in, in, in 2001. Um, and on 9-11, I was actually traveling through Europe, visiting chapters, uh, and was very traumatized for various reasons. But I see now one of the biggest was that my mom's family's Holocaust survivors. And I found out about what was going on on a train going through Europe. So I was just like backstories of that. But that all, everyone was very, most people were extremely kind and I appreciated that. But it made me realize too, you know, like seeing that from over in Europe, even though I'm American and sort of watching everyone, I started to do feel like, okay, there's more going on out here in the world that I want to be connecting in with um, just because I'm so observant and I feel like maybe I could, you know, that, and there's, I'm not the only one I know who's observant in that way. So that all being said, um, when I was done being president, uh, I was still on the board and um, I was partnered with Nigel Bevan, may he rest in peace, died a few years back, um, on outreach. And, you know, Nigel's from London and so... One other thing is my family, super big baseball fans. I said to Nigel, I said, you know, things can turn around. Like somehow I felt super inspired by this. Uh, I could see the game turning. And that, you know, at the, at the dinner, I said something like, you know, it's funny what you can be inspired by. But like if the, if the Red Sox win the World Series, I will feel like we can do anything. And then they went on to win the World Series stop this 84-year-old uh, curse, they said, the curse of the Bambino. Um, and then we went on to uh, to start World Usability Day, and the UPA gave us $70,000 for three years in a row. Can you believe that? Back in oh, wow. four, yeah. six. So we had the money to hire a publicist and, you know, a big website company and people to organize. And we were, it was... It was amazing. So anyway, long story short, uh, I think I also was inspired by the fact that I was working at Kodak at the time. I was working on medical systems uh, and people like, say, surgeons or cardiologists would come in and sit in front of the, the computer and literally say to me, I'm not really good with technology, like as if they were stupid. And I remember thinking, you're a surgeon. Like you've been to school way more than me. How could you possibly say you're stupid? And then I realized, no, people need to be told that this is not okay. You don't need, you can't let technology make you feel stupid. So that was sort of the the idea. And then on top of that, bringing it back to sustainability and, and uh, you know, like I said, not focusing the entire time on this one story. But so Earth Day was our inspiration. 
And I kind of came up with that at the time. Earth Day in 1970 was started by uh, 2 million people marching on the UN around the same time as now when the General Assembly was in place. So they, ha- they, they, all of us, had read a book called Silent Spring in which Rachel Carson described how bug spray was killing the birds. And everyone went, oh, my God, what's going to happen to the planet? And so they started Earth Day. And while some would argue they didn't make the progress we need, I would also argue that you could go see recycling in, like, the global south, for goodness sakes. Like, you can see the impacts of Earth Day. Uh, you can see, how did Greta Thurberg learn about the, goal, the climate, climate crisis? I would venture to say she, at some point in her young life, attended an Earth Day event. Like, like so we thought, why aren't we doing something like that to inspire people to do the same thing, to say, why am I killing the planet over my mini computer I'm walking around with? For those of you who can't see me on the podcast, I'm holding up and shaking my iPhone. So that's sort of uh, the idea. And, you know, have we done what, you know, like, I just keep thinking of Earth Day, right? Like, we're not there yet, but, but. The idea back then, and we're getting closer to it now, is that if we could do what Earth Day did, and they also got on the calendar of the United Nations, and they made so much noise in New York that Richard Nixon, who was having a very bad time, started the Environmental Protection Agency. I think someone told him, you need a win. You're not going to win on Vietnam. Just go start the EPA or whatever. These people are marching in the streets. You know, so we, I thought, let's start a usability revolution. So... Um, we're still aiming to get on the calendar of the United Nations like Earth Day did, because uh, when they did that, they really branched. So that's our that's our current goal. But um, that was the inspiration. Uh, now that I'm telling you, probably all those summers in the woods also had something to do with it. <laughs> no. um, and I just I was raised by uh, my parents went to the March on Washington with Martin Luther King and. They took me to demonstrations when I was young, and I just remember the energy and hearing people saying, we shall overcome, and feeling like, gee, when people work together, they could really do something. So we're still working on it, but that was the inspiration. Very long, long way of answering that, yeah. Real quick, for the listeners who have never experienced the World Usability Day or the concept and have never heard of this, I imagine they don't exist, but let's say hypothetically they do. Could you give us a quick rundown so World Usability Day um, is an event, uh, second Thursday in November, where people come together to uh, demonstrate uh, the value of usability. Um, and so the idea was originally that, like Earth Day, people would go out and, you know, we had in the beginning years people going literally in their communities and starting to figure out where things needed to be fixed usability-wise. And I think that worked when we had a huge budget. And also it was before that the dot-com bubble burst. So during that period, we were doing things like going into science museums and malls and setting up, say, activities for people to do, like sorting socks or setting time on an alarm clock so that they could see by doing how not everyone thinks the same. Just, Just try to put out a table of all different socks and just say to people, just organize it, whatever way you think, okay? You're not gonna get everyone doing like size or stripes or solid, you're gonna get mixes, right? And so that shows you how people think differently. And then try getting a bunch of people to set time on an alarm clock and you'll see immediately how usability impacts things. So 
we were doing that and school groups were going through and other kinds of groups were going through. We would have activities, um, say, in train stations, talking about transportation and, you know, a lot of sort of public service stuff. And then after the dot-com bubble burst, I would say by, by 2010, uh, we weren't getting that exact kind of sponsorship, but what was what took off like lightning was professional development, and I think that's what you guys were referring to. And look, grassroots grassroots uh, initiatives take a life of their own, and 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 as a leader, which I think you got to do is let it go where it goes, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe if it's too far off, you can be like nudging it over. So, so uh, let's see, professional development really took off, especially in Eastern Europe and in um, uh, the global south, like India. And what's interesting about that is the field really did start to develop at this, and when I say the field like UX, HCI, uh, you know, user-centered design, that all started to really develop along the same time that this outsourcing of tech to, and like from, I'm talking about from the United States, what I was seeing, you know, Eastern Europe and India. And so mm -hmm. World Usability Day became these huge events that spank spurred into other things. Like now there's a UX India and there's like all sorts of stuff in Poland and Eastern Europe and you know, all that. I mean, Germany was always like big, like, and, and, you know, Denmark and like Scandinavia and places where design was like well understood and all that. Um, so now we're at an interesting juncture, right? Cause what's happened is we've spawned off like world IA day and world interaction design day. And, and that's all terrific. That's all great. Um, but sort of now coming back to, you know, the, the, the everyday person. So again, right now you'll see in November, it's November 9th, second Thursday of November, there'll be events all around the world. There'll be podcasts. There'll be stuff in cities. I believe Germany maybe has 10 countries like some, you know, there's stuff happening, uh, and we're, we're trying to aggregate everything so people can say, oh, like this has happened to me a few times. Oh, I'm going to be. In this country at that time, what's happening or who can I talk to to get something happening, you know? Um, and so there is a sense of, oh, lots going on on that day. Um, but we're also trying to extend it now throughout the year. Um, and, and so we partner with some other communities, which we've been trying to do. So we have a design challenge that's now being sponsored by HCI International. So last year was the first year in person that we were on a stage in Copenhagen with a couple thousand people giving out awards to live people. It was so great. You know, it was like, wow, you know, we so, so fun. And, 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 um, we're also working with SIGCHI and, um, uh, UXPA, IDXA, a bunch of the other organizations to, uh, do like online events. Um, and so we're trying to add one plain language association and the, uh, International Graphic Arts Association and, you know, to really expand out of just this little community. Um, and so, uh, so that, I hope that answered your question. Um, I yeah, know yeah. I told you there, I yeah. was some and, 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 and let me add there for our listeners out there. And so by saying this, I'm also putting a little pressure on us, but we're actually, um, for this year's World Disability Day, we also plan to do a, an, a SACS event, right? It will be an online yeah. event. Yeah. Um, so, and at the time you out there listen to this episode, we will put the link to the event there and you can, you can find it and hopefully join us and, uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned on this. Um, what I found really interesting in your, 
what you just said uh, about the World Usability Day and also about different communities were two things. One thing, okay, it started, It things can start from a very small event, right? And this is, I think this is so important and, and important to understand. It's this, well, Babu and me talked about that before, before you joined today, the butterfly effect, right? It's every yeah. one of us can be this butterfly actually that that has a, has a huge impact and another interesting thing that you said is this there are different communities and well this year's um topic is col collaboration and cooperation and this is I, I think it's this is super important and what what would you say why why do we need more collaboration and cooperation especially in terms of sustainability yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny. I, I didn't expect to have I was that question somehow made me feel very moved. And I think the reason is, is currently, as we speak, the United Nations is having their General Assembly and they're doing their halfway point check with the UN Sustainable Goals. Yeah. And the UN Sustainable Goals are an effort, I believe, uh, to bring the world together to try to fix our biggest problems. Mm -hmm. And so in 2015, uh, world, uh, sorry, uh, in 2015, um, the United Nations came out with the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And, you know, there's all sorts of things like that we think of as sustainability, like life on the planet, life on the ocean. And then there's things like inequity, gender equity, uh, healthcare, education, things that some people might say, well, it's not exactly sustainability, but I would argue, yes, of course it is. Because yes. all of those things is what's either adding or helping solve the biggest problems, which are, let's face it, climate change is at the top of the list, and it's impacting everyone on those sustainable goals in different ways, right? Because those of us that are more privileged are not going to be impacted the same way as those that are less, and I could go on and on and on. So I don't really think we can do it by ourselves, and that's why I guess I'm moved. I I. I guess I'm amazed that anyone thinks they can do it themselves. I know when I was young and a hiker and a backpacker for some reason, and also, I'm sorry, I have to keep repeating. I was super young. <laughs> like, you got a lot of zest and, and strength, and, and we need that in the world. But as I've gotten older, I realized, okay, and also what I have learned, I can't carry a backpack anymore because my back won't put up with it. So therefore... It's clear, you know, things change and you you need different people and different life experiences and different places in the in the life cycle to work together. Otherwise, there's no way. It's just zero way we'll solve it because I see things that a younger person might not see, but a younger person also sees things that I don't see because I've been here for a while. And let's face it, as much as I try not to be biased, I'm a human being. Can't help myself. So you mentioned uh, um, that you've had a, quite an extensive career in design. We'll summarize it as that. Um, how have you seen design evolve? And maybe the, the more important question that I'm trying to ask is, um, what do you feel are currently like the biggest challenges facing design and how we should evolve as design to take our next step? I mean, I love that question because I think it shows me uh, the approach I like, which is, I'm not really a Buddhist, but my brother is, so I could say I vaguely understand a curious mind, a beginner's mind. Like, I can't, I can't approach this that I know everything. 
Um, but if I, if I and all of us are like asking questions, hard questions, being able to have hard conversations with each other and with different groups, uh, to try to solve these problems, um, then I think design can evolve. But what, what it started off, so my uh, undergraduate degree was basically in uh, fine art photography and um, graphic design. Uh, and I went to art school and a variety of other things uh, and, and kind of thought I would just follow that trajectory. But somehow my parents convinced me to apply to MIT. And that's where I ended up. And my, but, but here's why it was good for me. My thesis advisor was, I don't know if you know who she is, a well-known over here designer. Her name was Muriel Cooper. She died a few years back. Muriel Cooper uh, designed, she was a designer at the MIT um, Press, and she designed the MIT logo, and she was like one of the only women in design, like really like out there doing that. Um, and, and, and so she, uh, she really mentored me and a few other uh, women um, and it was hard to tell in the beginning, this transition, this digital transformation, but it was Muriel's group and, and people may not know obviously who invented what Muriel's group, right, right. Like as I was graduating and so it was a different group, uh, inside her lab invented flying text, flying text actually didn't exist at that time. And I don't need to say my actual age, but you can tell it's, I'm getting up there. We so, are all we are all still young. Let's keep it like that. That's this. so nice. Yes. Well, yeah, I still have a lot of energy. So anyway, um, so Muriel was sort of trying to coach us that we were that design was taking a big turn. Uh, and so her lab was called the Visible Language Workshop. And it was all about just learning how with visual grammar and all of that to adapt to the new, you know, digital age. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was lucky enough to go work at the research labs at Eastman Kodak. And so I got to see this, like like you said, firsthand. How you know? Because initially, not everyone was a photographer, <laughs> not everyone was a designer. Um, in fact, the group I was working with at MIT, we were doing Photoshop back in the '80s, before it was like, then Adobe came and saw, and Apple came and saw, and all of that. Um, so I think what happened is that the shift now, and I don't I don't want to say bad or good, but what I've observed. So now anyone can be a designer, anyone can be a photographer. And, and that's, mm -hmm. um, that is what it is. It doesn't mean anything good or bad. Uh, but what happens with that is that people who maybe say like me, who went to a lot of schooling on those subjects, <laughs> you know, kind of, and maybe I'm amazed sometimes what people can do and what can't do without training or whatever we call, you know. And so, so again, with this curious mind, I kind of have to think, well, what is design really? And then for me, it was always design. And then it became design research when I went to MIT, like in my world of where I saw. Mm -hmm. And there's still groups like iRobot, they call their team design researchers. Like it still exists in pockets. But to me, the challenge was, is when everyone started to decide that we had to divide up our very little pie into even smaller little pieces, and that is our challenge. We're like cannibalizing ourselves. We're saying, you know, usability is not UX. Com CX is not UX. I could go on and on and on. IA is not UX. IA is not usability. IA is not design, whatever. And to me, that's what troubles me the most. And that's why I started World Usability Day, or I was motivated because 
Usability, everyone understands. You could talk to someone on the street and you could say, do you think this is usable? And they would kind of know what you were talking about. If you said, do you think this has a good user experience or what's your customer experience? Okay, right over their head. What, what are they? The average person. I'm thinking about the average person. So for us, we we as designers, our splintering and little siloing, it's not helping anything. And that's mm -hmm. my biggest concern of where we are today because that already happens with engineers. That already happens with psychologists coming in. And so now we designers are not only doing it with those people, we're doing inside our own community. And that's, I think, maybe at the end of the day, why this was such a moving question. It's breaking my heart. And I'm not kidding. Mm. For me to talk about usability and to be told it's not important anymore, it's a tiny piece of the user experience, honestly, it makes me sad because I feel like there's a gross misunderstanding. And I don't I don't know why or, or, or like, I just don't think it's going to help us to keep going down that road. So... Mm -hmm. Um, not everyone thinks that, uh, certainly those even in the world usability initiative don't. And so, you know, like when I feel frustrated or sad, then the, the, the solution for me is, well, first after my dad's a psychologist, I've studied psychology. First, you have to sit with the feeling for a few minutes and, mm -hmm. you know, just be a human, but don't spend too long sitting <laughs> and then figure out what to do. Right. And so that's where I keep coming back to world usability initiative. I keep coming back to sustainability in the way that I see sustainability, like the 17 sustainable development goals. And I feel like then there's hope and that design is all of that. And that, you know, I'll keep working on that. That's sort of my yes. way to work it through. But yeah. Do you feel that we're still doing good as design? You know, I thought so until 20. Until this last year, sorry. This last year, I was reading a report. Uh, Jacob Nielsen, I think now he's stepped into a new role, right, in his in his company. So he's like mm -hmm. writing <laughs> a lot. And I read uh, something on this blog recently where he thought things are going to be fine for our community. Um, but uh, one thing that he said that that made me think, well, maybe we are getting worse at the moment. Uh, so he said he, he saw a big bloat in jobs in 2022, which is fair. I saw that too. Yeah. And that now we're down 73%. That's a 73% loss of jobs in the UX community mm -hmm. in this last year. And I see that. I see that too. So that makes me uh, super uncomfortable. Um, not just like, oh my God, will we have a job? No. Jacob Nielsen said he thinks we'll have a job and so do I. I don't think that's it. Because look. I lived through the bubble bursting in 2008. 2001 wasn't great, I got to say. You know, like one thing about age is you can look back and say, okay, I will derive strength from the fact that I have been in bad situations before and worked together with other people and somehow figured it out. So yeah. I don't think we're in good shape. I'm not going to lie. It's, mm -hmm. it's really, um, on top of everything else, we have a mental health crisis in the United States, and I'm pretty sure it's all around the world, not just in the United States. Um, and that's very, very scary to me because when you get to the point where people are having mental health crises that I believe we can track back to all this foolishness that we're, you know, not working together. Like, to me, that's discouraging. And that, you know, that's like, that's like you're talking about a human soul that they can't, like, get up and keep going, right? You know, like I, I was mean. saying, 
bed and then get like and so if we have a crisis of people in that state then we're in bad shape uh-huh. like we're in bad shape that that's uh-huh. just it right and how has design contributed well we, we didn't win <laughs> how about that <laughs> i mean in, i'm not saying oh, we know everything but if you look at our field we are not just one point of view we're a combination of fields which is partially why i feel so positive about us and all of it. Talk to anyone who's taken any of my research classes and I will always say you got to triangulate your data, right? You got to have more than one opinion. Three is to me the minimum and the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. And so if we think about that, we think about our field of UX and we have three different fields merging. We have engineering and that giant field, not just software engineering. You know, when I was at Kodak, I was building cameras. Cameras, like we had to make them heavier and make them have a noise because no one believed it was a camera because it was digital and quiet and light. So technology, engineering, that's one field that's merged with us and then straight up design that goes all the way back to Leonardo da Vinci. It goes all the way back to the caves of Lascaux. I'm sorry, but it does, right? Okay, people are communicating. Absolutely, I agree. Amazing that they did something that we can see so much later, right? So design started, let's say, with them. That was in my graduate thesis, by the way, and I got a lot of pushback. But anyway, keep going. Uh, And then we have psychology, which brings it all together. That's the human factor. So I feel like our field will be okay. We just need to get past this uh, plateau Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we're in. And the only way I see us doing that is by working together. Um, Do you you think maybe, so listening to what you said, so, so I personally... Well, I see, I see a lot of opportunity and I see a lot of power in design. I think the problem that we have is that maybe for too long time, we have worked in, let's say, in boundaries that other people set for us, right? So the business set boundaries in which we had to operate and to work. And maybe the question, and that's, that's where the jobs are lost right now. Still, I think the way designers think about things problems is maybe crucial for saving this world and and society and and yes right this systemic approach of thinking about things that that is what we need even even more and maybe the question is how can we how can we as designers break these these boundaries that have been set how can we evolve from them do you have an idea I mean, I wish I had a like ready idea. First of all, I love the analogies on it. And I think you're right. I think because we have this kind of training and, and understanding from a systemic approach, because that's what it is. And it's, and it is like, but we've got the understanding of psychology and the engineering and the design that's always been designed is Mm -hmm. the glue that's holding that together. Um, but I've noticed, uh, in the last year, especially, um, There's a culture that we are fighting against, and I'm not really sure how to name it, except for that I could say it like this. And I don't mean to be political or insulting, um, just an observation that I am making is that I see a lot of vice presidents that I know, uh, presidents of companies, CEOs, and they just want to be Elon Musk. They just want to have a lot of people reporting to them. They want to decide what they want to do. They don't want to have to talk to others They don't want to have to talk to support and it's to try to figure things out that takes a long time, that slows them down. Um, and whatever the reason is, they haven't seen the value. 
and they need it's like getting stakeholder buy-in but what we're fighting against is that we care about something that they may not actually care about mm-hmm. but they may actually just care about the bottom line some ceos some people in companies and that and that they find that this stuff is is irrelevant to them it's not a priority to them so so i think that's more of a human problem and how do you and that's like also what led us to where we are uh why some some people feel like it's okay to just like consume consume throw out consume for example just, mm-hmm. and that that feels okay to them it's not it's not bothering them they are not in the global south they are not somewhere where it's flooding or whatever yeah um so how do they get out of that mindset and what can we do to show them and so i i latched on to the united nations sustainable goals and look i'm not like saying the aom's perfect i have family in israel i have people on both sides of the fence there then i'm not gonna lie like i'm not saying the un is a perfect place but it's all we have at the moment to work with yeah. right and then all these like podcasts mm-hmm. and meetings that we all get to do with each other but in terms of the global stage so so how do we impress the people on the global stage, right? Like to me, that's why that has to be a solution because there's some cultural problem here, uh, and it's and it's and it's and it's bigger than design. So I do think I really truly, and not just because I'm a designer, think design will solve the world's greatest problems. But I think we have to lean towards our psychology hat a little more right now and figure out how we get other people to care because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That is that it could be one of the biggest problems we have. And that's, and that's, that's what we have to work together. That's actually one thing I, well, I, I believe. And I also, well, whenever I go somewhere and, and do a talk or workshop, I think it's so much about, well, on the one hand side, okay, it's, it's about tools and concrete things that you can do, but it's maybe even more about changing narratives, right? Yes. And changing narratives from what it has been and creating new narratives to convince to convince people. And I think this is something we maybe haven't thought about enough in the past years. And that's something I learned over the past years as well. How important these setting new narratives, mm-hmm. replacing wow. narratives that have been in place for, for maybe decades, right? And saying, no, no, there is another way to see it. And, and how can we do this? And how, how can we help as designers? And how can we change these narratives, right? Okay, you just gave me a great idea. What if we workshop that? So, like, at some point, and honestly, it's going to have to be in the future because I don't know about you, I'm booked up like a few months. <laughs> what if, let me just throw this out there. Uh, what if we came together, at least at least World Usability Initiative and, and sucks, you guys, and put together a actual workshop, an actual workshop. So what do I mean by an actual, sort of like this bigger series, but I, we don't even have to call it that, or we could, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, what if, so we do a workshop where it's like, it'd probably have to be two hours online, you mm-hmm. know, some time that isn't horrible for everybody. Uh, and then workshop this idea. So like, what if we change the narrative? What, what would we want the narrative to be? How do we visualize the narrative? What's a good narrative? And then we may not probably get to this in two hours, but once we think about what that narrative is, then we can have a follow-up. Okay, let's figure out how we get there. Then I, we can move, we could loop that back into a million places. Um, mm-hmm. But I think 
I think we have to, that's what I'm saying, like work on things together. And I never thought of that. And that's why I'm so excited. Like just talking to you guys gave me a whole bunch of new ideas. So anyway, we can follow up on that later. But yeah, yeah, we got to change the narrative. We have to change the narrative. Yes, I, I agree. Um, Yeah, exactly. So I, I've been I've been consulting a lot of companies. I've been through a lot of design agencies as well. And and um, this might be a bit of a hot take uh, from me from my end. But I feel like the, the, the main thing it usually boils down to is instant gratification. Which is the, I want my profit next quarter, and that's all that truly counts. And I want my 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 thing immediately, and I I don't want to. Yeah, you and it it, it kind of boils back to everything where you say, oh, um, UX is just usability. Yeah, that is the instant gratification side of UX. Usability is a byproduct of good UX. The same with. I walk into these companies and they're like, yeah, we want to reduce the clicks. I'm like, that's fantastic. I suggest you find someone else. And again, exactly what I would say. UX is reducing clicks is a byproduct of, of yep. good UX. Um, yep. But I feel like, and you mentioned it earlier with the, everyone is a designer these days and we see these boot camps come up and in, in three months, you're a designer with two capstone projects. And I and I don't want to take anything away from anyone who does that because I believe that is a very good way of doing it, but it is it is missing some essential parts, and usually that boils down to strategy. Where are ah. we in five years? UX has Absolutely. become kind of an instant gratification term that we use. Isn't it? Oh, we're just gonna you know we'll just UX it out. You you don't UX out anything. UXing something out takes a year at least. It, it does. It's not a two-day UX audit to get some quick wins in, um, but we see this a lot. And I feel like if we want to change the narrative, uh, and by all means, to anyone out there, if I'm wrong, please tell me so. Um, but if we want to change the narrative, I feel like the narrative we need to change is going to be: how do we move from instant gratification to a long-term vision by default? Because is that going to be just regulations? Do we need to do we need to speak about that? I don't know. That's that like can the UN if if we were to give the UN the power to make that regulation, would that solve the problem? Great question. So uh let's see. So there's two. Um and I lost my translate, so I'm gonna start again in a minute, but what was the first thing you said? Uh instant gratification. Instant gratification. Okay, and then the second, sorry, I'll I'll do we'll we'll start it again because uh, I have a is, lot. Is regulations uh, oh, regulation. The, okay. the answer to, yep. to okay. the instant gratification that businesses are chasing. Right. Okay. So starting again. Um, so the instant gratification piece that you mentioned, I believe, is directed to what I was calling the growth economy and that that's how we measure success. So mm -hmm. when I when I tackled that, then I look at the ROI, right? And then that and that helps sometimes, right? And then Again, just as a curious with, with a curious mind, with a beginner's mind, I ask questions. So how much do you guys spend on customer support? Huh. Interesting. And what do you do you know where most of the problems are? Do you are you do you have that data? Oh, interesting. Would you like to say more about that? Oh, interesting. Okay. Got that. Mm -hmm. Now we talk about what else is happening. 
And they tell me, oh, we're having problems with and I'm like, oh, the one where you have a lot of customer support calls? Mm. I said, have you done the math on customer support? Super expensive, those customer support calls. Mm-hmm. Super expensive. So even if we look at the ROI, that, that sometimes helped that instant gratification, but not always, but sometimes. And then if that doesn't help, I do try to find other areas where I think there's inefficiencies that we could solve. Again, that doesn't always work. Um, and for anyone listening to this, if you have strategies, you know, please share it. Um, the second one is regulation. And I do think we need more regulation and it could, or, or more like the way, say, the World um, Health Organization works. Uh, we could do something like that that includes like ethics and AI and, you know, design for good versus dark patterns. We could do something like that. And we would, as part of this World Usability Initiative, like to do that or at least, at the very least, do something with the World Trade Organization or maybe we could do some some kind of regulations there. Because I know you guys know in Europe, like the ISO standards already has human factors and usability. Yep. Uh, and so I do think regulations are helpful. And that being said, I know plenty of people who work in financial systems over here in the United States. Plenty of people who are liberals who will actually say the regulations are killing us. And they say, but we understand that and we're, we're all in for doing it. But the pushback we get from the companies is even worse than the instant gratification. It's like, maybe we'll hire someone just for the regulations. And what does that person do? All they do, and I'm not trying to diss any particular company or name and names, But the person that these large companies hire for regulatory purposes is often not to make sure that all the regulations are being met, but to make sure that the reporting is satisfactory to the organization that needs to be, right? I'm not saying they're lying at all. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying their focus is on the report so they will pass Mm -hmm. the regulations. Yes. Issues. Yeah. Not actually looking at the spirit of the regulation and what it's about. And again, it goes back to your instant gratification, right? So if there's some way to do regulations that provides an instant gratification, then, you know, that maybe that's the answer. But We need to, uh, sorry, just popped into my head right now. We need to detox companies from that dopamine hit yes. they get from that instant gratification. That's that's yes. going to be the challenge. That's the design challenge. How do we how do we that's get great. companies to kick the habit of chasing these dopamine hits of quarterly numbers? And I think that's we need, and that that also um, pays into what we said about changing the narrative, right? What is value for us as a society? Because at the moment there is only one thing, and that is growth. And right. I'm not saying I'm not saying we should get rid of this because well it's not this easy, but we need to add other values there. And I think we can do this by shifting narratives, by convincing more people, by creating because that's that's a powerful thing, I think, creating demand for for um for other types of products, because that's the language the companies understand. Mm-hmm. And well yeah. at least I would say, especially here in Europe, we can see this is happening, right? I'm always yes. saying, hey, meanwhile, at the moment, it might be still enough to paint your stuff green and then people think it's sustainable. But people are are not dumb. People are smart and people understand what's maybe really sustainable and what's not. And so a shift 
in the narrative has been happened here already. And that's, so I, I think we need to, to push companies or put force on them from different directions, right? From the, from the consumers, from politics, from regulation, from, from us, from the inside, maybe to, yeah, to change how, how we value things, how we value everything maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Europe is doing a better job probably than any place. And, I, and I'm saying that too, uh, thinking of smart cities, for example, um, because I was in Copenhagen over the summer for the HCI International Conference. And, you know, I travel a lot. And, and what I loved, I mean, and Copenhagen is like named a smart city by whoever named smart cities. I'm not sure. Uh, but we had a bunch Mr. of- Mr. Smart, just, I assume. Sorry, it was all glib. Um, but Copenhagen is a smart city, and how do we know? I mean, one thing was I I was able to get anywhere, anywhere on public transportation, and it wasn't that hard. And and I can't say that of my own city, Boston. I'm sorry. I cannot say that of Boston. And here I was, you know, in Europe, and and it was easy, easy, easy. And even if I made a mistake, it was easy to correct. And I don't just mean getting off at the next one and turning around. Like I wasn't charged a lot. I made a mistake. There was no impact on my ticket, actually. <laughs> just, you know. And and I think, you know, and people ride bikes in Europe to work like regularly as a thing. <laughs> um, and I think that that, you know, so I do feel like Europe is ahead. Um, and so maybe there's more there we can sort of pull out. Um, and I do love the idea of changing the narrative. Um, and so, you know, I'm all in for doing more on that and working together on that. I do think a workshop, like workshopping that might not be a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, let's um, do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then sort of thinking of like places, you know, you'd have to go through and think, and I know we're going to end soon, so I'll just wrap this one story and you can ask me other, other random things, but, um, you know, like if I was going to do a workshop like that, I would I would balance it with, say, people, you know, from Europe who feel like, you know, OK, we're maybe we're ahead or like we understand or like what it's like to live in a city where everyone's riding their bike, you know, or like stuff like that. And then balance that with some people who are having the opposite experience in other countries um, and certainly the United States, you mm -hmm. know, where it's not being encouraged so much. We're being encouraged to get in our car one or two person at a time and drive around and sit in highways for no good reason. Yeah. You know, and so like, how do we solve that? That would be a fun. That is, that would be, I difficult. think, I, I mean, to, I agree with you that on these things, maybe we in Europe are ahead. Still, it is, it is a big fight that we have here because there, there are a bunch of people who yeah, I, more want to have it like the American way of, I, of, of, of doing I it. I know. And, and, you know, I, just one example came into my mind and that's, well, maybe that's also a thing I, I talk a lot about is, well, cities, right? And how we build cities that not for us, the people, but for cars. And one yeah. other thing I really like, there are a few people who do projects where they just took pictures of streets, erased all the cars and showed how the street could yes. look, right? Just, and, yes. and that's a perfect example for how design yes. can change yes. a narrative, I think. Yes. And finding these these, well, it's not a loophole, these, these ideas where you can simply, but very powerful show people, Hey, look at this. How could mm -hmm. you think this is bad? Right. And it's, there will yes. always be a few people who still think this is bad, but it's not about these few people. 
it's about the majority that maybe does not think too much about it and getting it's, them. Yeah, it's that, that famous adopter uh, graph that we need to keep into account. And and yeah, and I've heard you I've heard you say it a few times, both of you, with like Europe is ahead. Um, and I find that a rough word. I'm split in the middle. My wife is American and I'm European. So okay. I, I'm definitely yeah. on the fence here. Because um, <laughs> I do think that there is other areas, especially in like social construct and, 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 and other conversations that the US is miles ahead of Europe. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, but that's a, that's a topic for a different conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to absolutely. go into that, but that, we don't have time right now. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what I do say two things. One, I think we might just be further ahead in that adoption chart, not necessarily okay. doing better. We're just, you know, while the U S might still be in the early adopters, we're in like the, the next phase, which is, if I recall correctly, early majority adoption or something like that. Uh, and then secondly, I feel when it comes to problems like this, and this I really want to emphasize, is that uh, it doesn't matter if Europe solves the problem, if the rest doesn't. Agree. Agreed. And That's if it doesn't what it work? Could, yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's fine, but until everyone is safe, no one is. And so it I agree. doesn't matter. We need to figure I, this I on a global scale. Is, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. I mean, the truth is that until, until there's no difference between the global north and the global south, we're also not going to really yeah. solve it, right? Because we're sitting here, as we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, we're, we're debating whether Europe is ahead of the United States or not. But, let, like, have we discussed Africa, for example? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously, like, again, this is privileged people talking to privileged absolutely. people. And, and as long as we name that, I'm okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's yeah. the thing. In terms of the whole migration, we are on the same level like the U.S. are. I would say. On that level, but yeah. I mean, we're all working. At least we're all working on it. I feel like there's that. Um, and then just to give a little perspective too, you know, like having, having, uh, you know, parents who've lived through world wars and again, my mother's, my mother's family's Holocaust survivors. Like I, I try to take the big picture and I see how things can change. And I'm not trying to just, by the way, pick up Germany, but I have spent so much time in Berlin recently because my kids were there for like living there or running a marathon or whatever. And I am moved at how far, like, I feel as a, as a descendant of a Holocaust survivor that I could go to Germany, I'm going to like get all moved, but that I could go to Germany and not only feel safe, but feel seen, like seen, like, I, mm -hmm. like I'm not being ignored, like some tragedy happened. That gives me such hope that we can do anything if we work together. <laughs> yeah, good good point. And there we are again at collaboration, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. And, exactly. And, and and I want to add one thing to um to to what you both said before. I think yes, it's right. The whole world needs needs to unite on doing the right thing. Still someone needs to do the first step and that this is still right there's always the danger yeah. of ah okay if nobody does something yeah and it's again it's this butterfly yeah. affecting yeah right and, that... and we yeah we're all slapping our wings over here so i think we're gonna get an effect going mm -hmm. <laughs> i yeah. think it's gonna maybe, happen maybe that's that's well and i think we could talk for hours still right we so maybe you, could, you yeah. have to uh maybe you have to return quite soon for 
I don't know. Yeah. We could make yeah, a new tradition having people return to continue um, the conversation. But what what I would like to ask, maybe as a as a last question, that fits quite well here, um, about if we look at nowadays and all all the problems, and we discussed so much of them, right? What gives you hope nowadays that we can well that we can contribute or let's say even win the battle for sustainability? for a better world with what we do in digital design? Well, I mean, the first thing is like someone like Greta Thornburg gives me hope. Like that, that the next generation is just not going to have it. <laughs> just not going to have it. I love that. Um, and uh, I, I feel like um, there's, also, there's also progress. So it's not just the protests, which obviously is... But like the United Nations right now, as we speak, are reviewing, uh, and I think not happily, our progress. It's halfway point. They're saying they're calling this the halfway point. Um, I think it's actually a little more than the halfway point, but whatever. Yeah, if you round down, <laughs> it's point. the halfway point. Fair. <laughs> I mean, we had, we did have a global pandemic, slowed things down. It's fair. Uh, so you know, like the fact that it is happening on the world stage uh, in terms of all these different groups coming together. And the fact is, accessibility does have a day on the UN calendar, accessibility. Uh, and so some of uh, the work that we're doing now, uh, especially with the World Usability Initiative, is to go back to, I don't want to say our roots, but like part of our roots is universal design, universal design. And so because the, the field of accessibility has actually made enormous progress, I'm not saying they're all there, but they have made a lot more progress. Uh, we're trying to learn from them and collaborate with them uh, because the United Nations clearly understands that. So that's a place to build, again, like the narrative to try to understand, you know, like when you build a ramp into a building, everyone can get in the building. But when you build stairs, you're leaving some people out. You're just leaving some people out. So why not just build a ramp? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so I think that's where I see hope. Uh, and and in conversations like we're having right now, I see hope. Um, and the fact is, World Usability Day is going to kind of observe its 20th anniversary next year. And I got to say, that is amazing. That gives me hope because there were times like, I'm a single mother. I was raising three kids on my own for a while. I kind of couldn't really pay attention. And people around the world just started to notice. And like in Germany, too, like they were like, what's going on? Oh, how can we help? And it, and here we are today, you know, and those kids are grownups. One of them's helping me with the website now. You know, it's like, like things keep going and, 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 and we are all like working together. And though we've taken some big hits in different ways. We're still here and we're still working together. And so for that reason, I feel like there's hope. So well said. Th things keep going and, and we need to keep them going. Elizabeth, thank you so much for, for, for joining us here today. And I think we, I would love to continue the, the, the conversation. So, so Definitely. really mean it. Let's see if you maybe next year come back for a second episode. I'll come back and I want to do a workshop with you guys. So we'll follow up later. We will do that. And to the people out there, stay tuned. So you yeah. see, a new idea was born here and we won't wait until next year doing that, I'm assuming. Um, well, yeah, so. not, yeah. Now, my, so my young, my, 
smile. I, I have a wedding coming up. That's what personally I'm looking forward to. My older son uh, is having what they're calling wedding 2.0 because they had a COVID wedding. So that and world usability will keep me busy till later in the winter. But yeah, we could talk about it then. Sure. Wonderful. Once more, thank you so much for being with us here today. It was really inspiring. I, I think we got a really, a really deep conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. And honestly, it's, it was an honor to have you here with us. I mean, you, you are, as I said, World Disability Day is there as long as I can think back. Wow. My whole career. Thank you very much for being here with us today. Well, I really appreciate what you just said. And, and, um, I, I was honored that you asked me and I'm, I, I had such a great time at chatting with you that I, uh, you know, this kind of thing just encourages me to, to keep going. So thank you for that too. So and for the great idea that came up. Thank you for that wonderful feedback, feedback as well. And well, also thank you as well to all the wonderful people out there who, who listened to this, to this episode. If you liked uh, what you heard, please give us a subscription, a rating. We would highly appreciate it. It would really help. So goodbye from our side. And since the final words always belong to our guest, um, Elizabeth, do you have any final words or advice to all of us? You know, my final advice is this. I think we should work together because I don't see that we have any other choice. But I think by working together, we can also honor the differences amongst ourselves and that ultimately... I was raised that if you can help someone else be the best you can be, then you can be the best you can be. And so that's why we should work together. And so I just hope everyone can work together and help each other be the best we can be. The Sucks Podcast is brought to you by the Sucks Network, a nonprofit initiative and network that drives sustainable and responsible UX based on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Hosted by Torsten Jonas and me, Bavo Lodwex. Edited by me, Bavo. Support by Isabel Pettinato. We'll see you next time.